0: Why, Elliot? I was thinking we could try and do the whole episode in an Irish accent today.
1: <laughs> well, we've already failed because that was not an Irish accent. It was close. It was relatively close. No, it wasn't. That was like cognitive. All right, let me
0: try again. Let me try again. Gotta get into it. I just don't like you anymore. Elliot, I just think we should try and do a Irish accent episode of the podcast <laughs> that was better right that was a little
1: closer well it was further away from cogney but now you're trending sort of australian <laughs> have you considered that this might be deeply offensive to our all our irish viewers or listeners
0: i've thought about it but i think that they would just like to see the representation since we still can't see banshees of Inchirin because it's not anywhere in iowa which We're working. Me. On we are, yeah. For everyone who's eagerly anticipating our thoughts on current critical darling Banshees of Ensiran, Ensiran, I don't know how Inshirin. to pronounce the last name. I haven't seen, I haven't seen the movie yet, so I don't know how to pronounce it. But regardless, anyone who's waiting for the Magellan's opinion, we haven't been able to get to it, so that's why uh, we haven't done an episode on it. But as soon as we do, we'll do an episode. We'll bring it right to you. You'll know whether it's worth your time to drive six hours to Omaha, Nebraska, and watch it. Or drive less if you're not in Ames, Iowa.
1: Very few things are worth going to Nebraska for.
0: That is true. That is true. Aren't you afraid that we're going to offend our uh, Nebraskan listener face, Elliot, by saying that?
1: No, uh, Nebraskans have such low self-esteem, they'll, they'll probably take it as a compliment.
0: Wow, that's, geez. <laughs> All right, enough, of, enough, of, enough Nebraska nonsense. Elliot, this week is, uh, not this week, I guess next week, is Halloween. So we thought we'd do a horror movie. Elliot, what uh, horror movie did we watch for the podcast this week? Thought you I thought you knew. No, you know too though, because you saw it as well.
1: Uh I don't remember. It was something about like you know, a ghost who's really spooky and goes around spooking people. Oh, not correct. (laughs) What are you talking about? This movie's full of ghosts.
0: Not in like a I guess I was just thinking like a ghost like a ghost story ghost. Like a bedsheet ghost.
1: Okay, well, then there's only. Why are we talking about this?
0: Well, because you're supposed to be introducing the film, and you decide to do some bit about you not knowing what movie we watched. Pretty funny, huh? Not really. It's kind of thrown off the facing of our whole opening. We've got people clicking off as we speak.
1: All right, we'll 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 just cut this bit. We watched The Shining. Wow. Yep, we watched... All right, I guess I'll take care. I have to do everything here.
0: Goodness. Yep, we watched uh, The Shining, Touchstone of Horror Cinema, 1980 release by the master himself, Stanley Kubrick, starring uh, Shelley Duvall... Jack Nicholson and a few other people. Some kid, I think.
1: Very few other people.
0: Very, yeah, it's a very sparse cast here. But this is widely considered, I think, one of the greatest horror movies of all time. It's a personal favorite of mine as well as Elliot's. I think we mentioned it last week in our episode on directors when we talked about Stanley Kubrick. So if you haven't listened to that, Check out that episode, getting that cross-promotion. But, so, for the Halloween spirit, to get in the Halloween spirit, we watched this. Elliot, what do you think of the movie? What's your thoughts? Give us the intro. Give us the the breakdown on Elliot Magellan on this movie.
1: All right, stop talking, and I'll start talking. Jeez. I think that, before we start, why don't we contextualize this a little bit and give our, our stance on the horror genre, because I feel like probably less now than ever... Sorry. It's probably more mainstream now than it's ever been, but I still think that it's largely a niche kind of appeal. So, for my money, my relationship to horror movies and horror in general... It's very paradoxical, uh, because my stated approach, or my, my stance, is that I don't like horror movies. I don't like being scared. I don't like scary things. I, I just It's just not my scene. But, I haven't written the genre off entirely. I just have very strict criteria that a movie has to make has to meet before I'll watch it if it's a horror movie. So it has to meet two of the following three criteria. It has to be made by a principal creative team that I know and have enjoyed work from in the past. It has to be critically acclaimed, or it has to come recommended from somebody who knows my tastes and uh, whose taste I know and trust as well. So if it... If it's two out of those three things, then I'll watch it. And it's worked really well to the point that almost every horror movie I've ever seen, I have really, really enjoyed. So I don't like horror movies, but I really like a lot of horror movies, is uh, the paradox.
0: I guess for me, I don't mind horror movies. I think they're really interesting from a filmmaking perspective, just because the really good horror movies I've seen are very interesting to me and how they build tension and suspense through... I think, technically speaking, horror movies typically fall into one of the more technically proficient genres, where, like, a comedy... Very rarely are you going to watch a comedy and you're going to go out and be like, yeah, the cinematography really, you know, went off in that. Whereas I think horror, it typically has to lean on its technical properties in order to really achieve its goal of scaring the audience, which is also why I don't really like modern horror movies a ton, because I feel like they kind of just go for, I can get you to jump, and so that counts as scaring you, which I would argue is not really scaring me. You know, if someone shoots me in the knee, it's going to hurt, but that doesn't really mean they've achieved anything meaningful. So uh, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Elliot, where I don't go out of my way to watch a lot of horror movies unless they're critically acclaimed or recommended to me. And so as a result, most of the horror movies I've seen, I actually enjoy quite a bit, like you were talking about.
1: <laughs> so with that in mind, now uh, you will understand that the reason I wanted to make sure that everybody understood where everyone else was coming from is both so the horror fans out there know that we are not necessarily qualified <laughs> to judge <laughs> The Shining as an example of horror, but also so that just because I think that outliers are very powerful on people's lists of things that they like if something if somebody has a predisposition against a certain genre but an example of that genre is able to overcome that i always find that really interesting because well obviously it makes me think there must be something special about this one to to pierce their veil of skepticism but anyway yeah so i i like this movie quite a bit I don't find it all that scary. This is kind of hard, because it's been a while since I first watched this, and then obviously when I watched it today, I knew everything that was happening, so I wasn't all that scared, and I can't really remember how I felt about it when I first watched it. I know that I liked it as a piece of art, but I don't remember being particularly... Scared by it. So let's start there. Did you find this particularly scary? Uh,
0: When I watched it today, no. And I was actually going to ask you about if you think this or really any horror movie holds up to multiple viewings. But I do remember the first time I saw this being reasonably, maybe not scared, but reasonably discomforted by a lot of the imagery and the long... Takes of like Danny just riding around on his little big wheel bike. So I don't know if I remember as being like viscerally scared as I was like in the movie theater watching it, the first It movie, or watching The Conjuring on my own at like two in the morning. That those were movie experiences I very vividly remembered. Being like, I'm not, like, I'm gonna have difficulty sleeping now. But I don't really remember that after this. I remember more being discomforted and just kind of une- uneasy after watching The Shining for the first time. But I don't know. Do you, is that necessarily, I don't wanna dive too quickly into the weeds here, but do you think that's a bad thing? If you're like, oh, it wasn't like the scariest movie of all time. If you were still like, I, like you said, you enjoyed it as a piece of art or a piece of filmmaking.
1: Well, yeah, I don't think that it really... I think that it is going to depend on what you're looking to get out of it. Mm. If you're looking to be scared, then I think that that's probably why you have <laughs> you have this... Uh, configuration of horror fans is like junkies, you know, horror junkies who... And I'm not trying to, like, get down on horror fans or anything. Uh, it's just, from what I have heard of the horror fan scene, there is a certain level of desensitization that people have to overcome by seeking out uh, more and more shocking or disturbing movies. So I think that horror movies, at least in terms of rewatchability, and honestly, in terms of just their structure in general, are very much victims of their structure, and victims of their genre. Because, you know, the way that a horror movie is set up is kind of like the way that an action movie is set up, that it, and this is the typical horror movie, in my experience, is that it will have scares in the same way that an action movie will have action set pieces. You know, you can sort of like, you know, clippable moments. Moments that you can pull out of a movie because they don't have a whole lot of dialogue or they don't require necessarily a lot of context to appreciate and you put them on YouTube for people to watch and re-watch. That's what I'm talking about. And mm. scares kind of work like that ...in horror movies. But... ...whereas in action movies... ...the concept of action... ...of just like fighting people... ...or running from things... ...or being kinetic... ...you know, having action... ...is very broad... ...and allows a lot more room... ...for playing around... ...than a scare... ...which is more restrictive. I mean, it has to be... ...something scary... And the usual formula is you think that somebody is about to die in a fairly gruesome way. Usually you're right because the horror movie will take a bit of time out of the action to look at a character who you understand is not very important or has been kind of signposted as being expendable. So you know what's going to happen. And this is all very deconstructionist, pretentious way of saying that horror movies can be very formulaic. That's basically what I'm saying here with like a thousand extra words. But The Shining, I think, is unique in that it doesn't really have that. It doesn't really have scares. And this is kind of hard to describe, but we were talking about it when you were down here uh, a few days ago, that... A scare has kind of its own internal plot structure. You know, introduction, rising action, climax, falling action, conclusion. You know, a scare will introduce some kind of threat like a serial killer. So like Michael Myers in the original Halloween, you'll know that he's around so when Lori's friend, Annie, gets killed in the car, remember that? She gets yeah. uh, killed in the car? Yeah. So, like, they establish that Michael is there when you see him out the window. And then there's rising action as Annie is sort of moving around the house. And you don't know where quite where Michael is or when he's going to come in. Then you have the climax when she gets into the car and he kills her. And then the falling action in the conclusion when he takes her body out of the car and he moves her upstairs. The Shining is exclusively rising action. Like it introduces the threat very early on in the movie and then it just never it never gets to the point of release because the, the scare in Halloween is about the thrill. It's about the moment where Everyone in the theater screams and then takes a little bit to calm down. But the shining is more psychological where it wants you to be tense, it wants you to be quiet and on the edge of your street, on the edge of your seat, not really knowing what's about to happen. And that's why I think the shining is so effective at creating and maintaining tension because there's never that moment of release where you know that the action is going to start falling now until it starts rising again. Because there's so few characters in it, nobody really dies. People are scared by things, but then they just sort of escape, and so you know that it's going to happen again, and you you just don't know when. And, yeah. So that, I'm not 100% sure all that makes sense, but that's generally my, uh... <laughs> this has been my TED Talk for why I think The Shining... Is is very good. So yeah.
0: Yeah, you actually be as you were saying, like, as you were describing like clippable moments in horror movies, I was thinking, and I got to the conclusion before you then said it in your little TED talk, that yeah, the Shining doesn't have any clippable moments because there is no moment where the tension is deflated. There's a very famous, not I don't know if it's famous, but there's an article I read where Steven Spielberg talks about the shining and he talks about specifically the scene where Wendy finds all of the typed out pages that say all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And he explains that the usual structure of this scene would be right. We introduce this bizarre thing. It's scary. We know that Jack is losing his mind or is at least not fully in control of what he's doing at this point in the film and so now Wendy has found a sketchy thing. She's in a dark room. She's alone. This is where most horror movies would, like you said, we've introduced a thing. We've got the rising act rising action as she's flipping through pages and the cameras moving around her. The normal way you would then end this is Jack would come in. There'd be maybe a jump scare. He'd come in, he'd kill Wendy, something like that. Instead, the movie Cuts to very purposefully show Jack entering. So Jack entering is not a jump scare. And instead, Jack entering is more rising tension. That now not only do we have, oh, there's all these creepy weird things. We see Jack. He's coming up on Wendy. And then the scene goes from what would have been maybe like a five minute or like a two minute thing where she finds it. He finds her jump scare something like that. It becomes like six minutes of him milking, of him milking all of these, all of this tension. And then even then, Wendy hits him with the baseball bat and then she puts him in the freezer. So there was no, there, exactly like you said, there was no climax. Jack is still out there. He's still alive. He's still able to create more rising tension as we see when he's then let out of the freezer by... The hotel, ostensibly. So I would just, I would agree with everything you're saying. And there's a definite example from the film of the exact thing that you're talking about. And I agree, it makes The Shining maybe not necessarily the scariest movie ever, but it's a movie that sits with you. It's a movie that while you're watching it, you can, it really sticks with you, I think, in a way that most horror movies maybe don't. I also am a big fan of this movie, so let's maybe maybe let's dive in a bit. Let's talk about um, the story of the film and what we think of maybe the story of the film. Right, Jack Torrance is hired to be the caretaker of a hotel during its winter months when there are no visitors, and so he moves up there with his family and it quickly becomes apparent that there's some su- supernatural goings-ons around the Overlook Hotel where they're staying that is both affecting him and his child who has the titular shining. So, Elliot, what do you what do you think of the story of The Shining?
1: Uh it's not groundbreaking like it's it's kind of a haunted house type story. Yeah, this is where I think the Shining kind of leaves itself open to more criticism because it is, it is focused so intently on the tension that it wants to create that it arguably neglects characterization and character development, such as it is. Probably the person who has the most characterization is Jack. He's probably the one that we spend the most time with and Jack Nicholson does a fantastic job. Uh, some people in recent times have kind of reevaluated his performance here and said that it's over the top or something. I I disagree. I think that he does really good a really good job of selling sort of of selling when he's keeping the crazy down when he's holding it back and then. When it's released, I think it's a really believable portrayal of... Well, believable, we're talking about a haunted hotel here. But it's believable within the context of the movie, a portrait of somebody who is letting their freak flag fly, like, for the first time. Uh, And that's one of the things that I want to talk about, if not now, then eventually the differences between this movie and the book, which I do think is, at least for me, it's an important part of this the story of this movie, by which I mean the story of the movie The Shining, not the plot of the movie The Shining. Because in The Shining, the movie, it's clear that this is kind of always how Jack has been, that this is a revelation of, of reality rather than an alteration of reality that is not the way it is in the book and you haven't read the book i know that i'm assuming more people have probably seen this movie than have read the book although it's fairly popular but if you don't know it's based on a book by stephen king stephen king famously does not like this movie very much and reading the book which i have and i enjoy it quite a bit I think it's pretty easy to see why, because their visions are diametrically opposed. Jack's story in The Shining, in the book, is a lot more tragic, uh, because it's, thematically, it's about addiction. Because at this point in time, Stephen King was an alcoholic. I think he might have been on drugs or something. So he's very much writing himself into this story, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's a very tragic story of a man who's struggling with addiction and just isn't able to overcome it. Well, I mean, he sort of is at the end, but I won't, uh, I won't get into that. But the 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 way that the ghosts or the haunting of the shining or the 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 Overlook Hotel works in the book is it's sort of like a parallel to addiction that it's this constant need voice in his head talking to him telling him that he needs something that he has to do something and that if he can't have it he'll be in such terrible pain I think uh, one of when the first time he starts like hallucinating or having visions that the hotel gives him is when he's in like a, an empty liquor cabinet and he's so desperate for a drink and then he sort of looks around and suddenly there's a bunch of alcohol on the shelves and so that's how the hotel, that's its, that's its uh, point of ingress for his psychology, and I understand that I'm talking a lot. Believe me, I, I'll, I'll wrap it up pretty soon here. In The Shining, it's clear that that is that is not the case in uh, the movie. It's more like the hotel just gives him a little extra push, and he's pretty much all on board. So I'm I'm sympathetic. why Stephen King dislikes this movie because it's saying pretty much the exact opposite of what his book was saying. That his book was about, you know, this is not something that's intrinsic to people. This is a, a story about somebody's very personal struggle with their own personal demons. And Kubrick brings his trademark nihilism and cynicism to a story that was very much not meant to be nihilistic or cynical. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I do think that as it relates to the story, now I'm talking about the plot, the plot, the narrative of The Shining, I do think that it makes for a good piece of art... It doesn't necessarily make for such a great story because, A, it is fairly bleak in how Jack is sort of, it's basically saying, you know, he's always been like this and it just required the hotel to bring it out. And B, I'm not 100% sure I buy that totally, that he was so close to being uh, a total psychopath capable of murdering his wife and son. I don't think that there's enough setup for that. So, The Shining for me, especially on this viewing, I was really struggling to parse my feelings about it as, like, the technical, formal elements of a horror movie and the thematic elements of... of... a. Uh, a story that's about something. So it's kind of got the opposite problem of Nope in that formally it's untouchable, but thematically I think it does struggle a little bit.
0: So just so the viewer knows, I wanted to do an episode on a horror movie, and I suggested a couple, and Elliot got the final choice. So if you couldn't tell by the fact that, I'm assuming at this point Elliot's just going to talk... 85% 85% of the time in this episode, Elliot really wanted to talk about it. it's shining. So that's what we ended up doing. I have not read the book. So in terms of responding to some of the things that you said and my thoughts on them, I can agree that I can see where Stephen King would be upset about this movie. I think this film famously has been... Or somewhat famously, it has been hard to nail down what it's about. Whereas the book you said is very clearly about addiction. The movie seems to be playing with a lot more. There's even a documentary called Room 237 about a bunch of like shining super fans coming up with. I think the documentary kind of thinks crackpot theories about what the movie is about. But there's a lot of places you can kind of go. I think some classic ones that people go to is it's about like the sins of America, since the hotel is built on an Indian burial ground and there's some subtext to that effect. I think you could also read it as uh, being about the corrupting influence of popular media. I don't think it's an accident that Danny is wearing like pop culture shirts. He's wearing a Mickey mouse sweat sweater in one scene He's watching, I think he's watching Looney Tunes at some, at one point, he's watching like a movie on TV. When they're driving up, the Jack talks about the Donner party and the kid's like, oh, I've seen stuff like that on TV. And Jack's like, oh, he's seen it on TV that it's kind of about that. But I feel like if you go as broad as possible, and then there's also obviously stuff about alcoholism and addiction in the film that come carries over from the book. I feel like if you were to make it, if you were to make it as broad as possible, and I think just personally, I feel like most of Kubrick's movies are kind of about this is that it's not necessarily about one thing being a corrupting influence. It's just the fact that there's always corrupting influences that some of that is the sins of the past, like, you know, building a hotel on an Indian burial ground. Some of that is the sins of the present, like, TV and the corrupting influence that it can have on both youth and adults. It can be about alcoholism. It can be about all these things. And he makes it about all these things because in a lot of Kubrick's movies, he seems to espouse the idea that we were all kind of screwed to begin with. And I think this movie, more than any, is posing all of the different ways. We never really had a shot. And then the final you know, frame of the movie is showing that Jack literally never had a shot. He's always been the guy. He's always been the caretaker of the hotel as the previous caretaker says to him, you've always been the caretaker. So I think I have less of an issue with the movie in terms of a thematic or a story, because I think it's very much in Kubrick's wheelhouse And I think if you make it very broad as opposed to trying to make it about something very, very specific, I think that's when the movie really comes to life in a thematic sense, for me at least.
1: Yeah, I see that in the movie. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know. Maybe I'm slowly convincing myself that I don't like this movie as much as I thought I did. But... (laughs) And we, and we get to see it in real time here on the podcast. But I would say that this movie probably fits the critique that we talked about with Nolan, uh, that his movies are... that it's unemotional, that it's sleek and well-produced and aesthetically pleasing, but ultimately somewhat I don't know cold clinical uh, I think that this movie probably fits that a lot better and so for me what I uh, what I'm discovering in, in this uh, little instance of disillusionment I'm having is that I can't quite decide what the respective values are of its technical accomplishments versus its, you know, when set against its coldness and its dispassion. It's fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just that, I don't know, it feels industrial, you know, it feels cold and metallic. Uh, I'm, I'm getting fairly conceptual here with my use of adjectives. So, yeah, uh, yeah. What, what were you going to say?
0: Well, I was just going to say both as a way of moving this a bit forward. I found, at least this time that I watched the movie, I found it to be weirdly more emotional than I remember it being in previous times. And that was very much because of the performances of Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, especially in the scene where Danny comes to them after he's been attacked by like he's somehow got into room 237 and he gets attacked by the zombie woman or whatever. In that scene, Jack Nicholson looks genuinely distraught by the fact that Shelley doesn't like thinks that he did something to his son. And then even when he goes and talks to Lloyd, he seems, and I think it's very much more in the way that Jack Nicholson is playing it than in the screenplay or the way it's shot. But he seems like actually very sad about this thing, about be, having this thing held against him, that he's he hurt Danny in the past and now she thinks he's capable of doing it again, even though he's putting in work, right, in being sober and he's putting in work to trying to be a better person. And so this spurning of his attempts to be a better person is what then drives him to, at least in the dream, I don't know how real it is to drink, which then results in him eventually just going completely off the deep end. But I found it to be significantly more human in its depiction of Wendy and Jack, their marriage, kind of the the struggles that are there between the two of them, as well as just what they're trying to do what they're trying to work through that. I think it's very clear that they've had some marital strife in the past and maybe even recently, and they're both kind of trying to work through it. And yeah, I would also just like to use this as a moment that Shelly Duvall, I think Jack Nicholson gets the bulk of the compliments when it comes to performances in this movie. Shelly Duvall is really fantastic. I especially love the scene when she first comes to meet Jack and he's writing and then he gets like angry at her for interrupting him or whatever, that she just has all of these little ticks where she's like, it hurts me that you're saying these things, but I'm trying to put on a brave face and be like nice to you. That he's like super upset and she's like, well, I'm sure you'll get it. I'm sure, you know, you'll get back there. I'll bring you a sandwich that like she's trying to be really nice and overcome like this hate that he's sending to her. And I, I just think it's a really phenomenal sort of performance there. And overall. So what what do you think of the actors? And then if you want to continue your trail of disillusionment with the film, you can diss what I said about the humanity in that. But
1: I definitely did not get that from this movie, what you were talking about with the humanity. I My reading of the stuff of Jack in the aftermath of Danny getting attacked is somebody who's just bitter and resentful, who feels like he's, his efforts aren't, who, there's a sense of entitlement, you know, that he, that his efforts at rebuilding trust are being ignored, and to begin with, it wasn't that big of a problem, it wasn't that big of a problem to begin with, because he says, you know, it was all this time ago. It was an accident. He was, uh, he was messing with my papers. I was just trying to pick him up, so he came off as very defensive and yeah, very bitter and resentful. So that scene just compounded the, you know, the 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 grimness and the coldness of the movie for me. In terms of acting, obviously I've already talked about Jack Nicholson and my appreciation for him. I agree that Shelley Duvall does a great job. She actually won a Razzie for this uh, movie. So did Kubrick. But this movie was famously panned when it initially came out. Wow. Critical speaking. Um, yeah, I think that the person, the kid who plays Danny, uh, does a very good job in terms of child acting. Uh, honestly, it's hard to talk about performances because there's not that many of them, you know? Uh, Dick Halloran, He's he does pretty good. Uh, so does the, what, the, the guy that Jack initially meets <laughs> with. Talk about the hotel work and the social worker that talks to uh, Wendy about Danny's health. You know, great job, social worker. She, she's amazing. Uh, she sets the screen on fire. Um, one thing that I really appreciated about this movie regardless of these issues that I'm suddenly realizing uh, I have with it, like I'm in a therapy session uh, and I'm coming to these realizations about myself. I This movie is filmed fantastic. I mean, the yeah. long tracking shots of Danny riding over the different textures in the overlook, those are iconic and they are fantastic. There's a lot of... Shots in that vein, like the shot where Jack is, like, walking down the hall, and the camera is in front of him, slowly pulling back to track his progress, and he's, you know, he's really angry about something that I can't remember. But yeah, so what you were talking about initially, about horror movies uh, being, like, staging grounds for a lot of technically impressive stuff, I actually disagree with. I hate how so much of horror is filmed with these obnoxious this obnoxious shaky cam and constant close-ups um, and the color palettes is so bad because it's so desaturated and uh, dirty a lot of horror movies are filmed what what is so funny
0: I just find it funny when you get angry about things, so... So I'm just laughing at you and you getting upset.
1: You know, I I feel like the color palette and the cinematography in so much of modern horror movies is an example of somebody mistaking an aesthetic for atmosphere. um, Mm. Because the aesthetic is this grimy, kind of grindhouse, splatter movie aesthetic. Uh, You know, it's dirty, it's supposed to make you feel... It's supposed to make you feel dirty. And A, I think it's a cheap trick in terms of uh, horror movies accomplishing that, and B, it's just not very pleasant to look at. And I understand that this is sort of tied into why I don't like horror movies in general. They're not supposed to be pleasant to look at. But this movie... This movie is a looker. Uh, I think that, and it's an example of how you can do horror movies without relying on that really grungy, grimy aesthetic. Uh, This movie absolutely has an atmosphere, A. And B, it achieves that through, through the tension, like we were talking about. It's not leaning on camera tricks or lighting or coloring or stuff like that to achieve what it can't through its actual content. You know, the scene in the bathroom, uh, when he's talking to Grady is probably my favorite scene of the movie because a there's an actor who has a small role. And I do think does fantastic. Uh, the guy who plays Owen Grady and B shot really well. And it's just so striking. It's so visually striking how the red and the white of the bathroom plays off itself. And, uh, even how the colors of the men two men's outfits fits into the color of the bathroom uh, so color is not something that I usually notice in a uh, a movie obviously uh, obviously I have the monkey brain reaction of like ooh, bright bright colors colorful stuff but this is a movie where I do where I notice how it's contributing to to the atmosphere that a movie is trying to construct.
0: Oh, yeah. I love the cinematography in this movie. I'm a sucker for long takes that are very methodical in tracking a person through a place or tracking people through a place. So all of the shots following Danny or following anyone who's walking, I also love how creatively so many of the shots are done stuff like when jack is trapped trapped in the freezer and they shoot from underneath him basic if you've seen the movie you kind of you know what i'm talking about hopefully but i think that's a very clever way of shooting it and it results in a very cool shot of jack nicholson where he's kind of towering over the camera in a way and the shot of the typewriter where Wendy's walking up to it to look at the page and her head slowly comes into frame is, it's a really fantastic thing. I also think the music, uh, we've said literally no soundtrack we've covered. Have we said, yeah, we'd love to listen to this. This is another one I would not listen to casually. But, I mean, from the moment the movie starts, it's just like a helicopter shot of a car driving and the music is already setting up the building tension that's going to carry through the entire film. I don't think it's as iconic as like the soundtrack to Halloween or psycho. And I think that's because it's not really as listenable as either of those, but it does a fantastic job of multiplying the amount of tension that's already on screen with just all of this weird sounding music.
1: I think it's like an electric organ that ...famous uh, theme at the beginning. Oh, it's dope. I love it. It is very good. I don't really have a whole lot else to say. Uh, We've mainly focused on the technical aspects. Uh, That's probably my fault because that's been the core of my feelings about this movie. But I think that Stanley Kubrick is a master of his craft... You know, it's just it's just the human, element, uh, the human element is missing. I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to talk about?
0: Uh, not really. We've hit on a lot of the positive things. It's funny. I feel like I've had the reverse effect that as you've been going and slowly losing, <laughs> being disillusioned with the film, as you've been saying those things and I've been in my head like, oh, I don't think that's really true. I've been increasing <laughs> enjoyment of the film. But I think if there was any negative that I would notch against the movie, I do think at two and a half hours, it's a bit lengthy. And it's, there are some of the scenes where I do wonder, uh, maybe this could be cut. Maybe this could be shorter, especially. I love the long takes, but there's a lot of them. And so at a movie that is kind of this long, I am sometimes left like, okay, this is, you know, enough of him writing the thing. Let's get to maybe the next important, you know, story beat or something. So I think this movie is maybe a bit too slow for its own good sometimes, but that doesn't stop me from, I really enjoy this movie. I also think you have to be in the right mindset. You don't just have to be in a mindset of like, I'm ready for like a scary movie. You also have to be ready for a scary movie that's going to make you, you know, really have to sit in it. It's not like Malignant or Happy Death Day where it's going to be like a scare every 10 minutes and it's going to keep you excited. You're going to have to keep yourself excited watching this movie. Mhm. So, yeah. That's pretty much all I have to say. Elliot, uh, what's <laughs> what's your final rating of the movie now that you've talked yourself down? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so this is not the rating that I was expecting uh, to give. I I have sort of convinced myself out of it. Um, This is not a bad movie. It's not even close to being a bad movie. Stanley Kubrick is a great director. I think that, technically speaking, it does compensate for the issues that I have with it, but the the issues that I've discovered I have with it... (laughs) But sitting here right now with this fresh insight, I don't know I'm I, I've gone from like an A to a B plus so mm. yeah um I'm sorry everyone <laughs> I'm so- <laughs> well I'm sorry we had to view it's always
0: tough to watch someone lose interest in something they like so <laughs> it's it's been hard for me to watch you go through this. <laughs> um. Uh, I guess yeah for all of this stuff I've said I'd put it I'd put it at like an 8.6 honestly. I was at like an 8.4 at the beginning of this and the more I talked about it and the more I thought about the hu- those human elements that I do think kind of come through. Yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan of this. I I also think that he carries this visual style into Barry Lyndon and then perfects the human elements in the film which is why like I said in the last episode where I recommended Barry Lyndon is the best Stanley Kubrick Barry Lyndon is fantastic and I still really want you Elliot to watch Barry Lyndon.
1: I'll get to it. I'm busy. All right, sure you are.
0: Uh, recommendations. So maybe someone watched this, they want uh, I always like to construct a fictional person who's just desperately looking for a recommendation. So we have a fi- kind of a face in our mind, as we recommend. So someone who watched this, they want another horror movie, maybe in kind of a similar vein. Elliot, what do you think they should watch?
1: I My recommendation is Psycho, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's movie, um, considered by many to be one of the first horror movies, period. Um, so it's similar to The Shining in that uh, it's a classic. It's centered around a hotel. Um, uh, that's a, mot- a motel, right? The Bates Motel. Um, yeah, this is just a really good movie. I think you know. Maybe if I rewatched it, I would be like, "Oh no, it's too, it's too uh, cold and clinical." But uh, as of right now, I think that this is a fantastic movie. Um, Really well shot, just like The Shining. I think that the fact that it's in black and white uh, actually works really well for the movie, quite famously, I or maybe just famously to me. Uh, it had to be shot in black and white because Alfred Hitchcock really struggled to get funding for this movie. Um, but yeah, this has... This movie does a really good job of... I won't spoil it, although I can't imagine people... Many people don't already know the spoiler but the movie does a really good job of setting up what you think is going to be the story and then pulling the rug out from under you uh, and then marrying those two different narrative threads without making it seem jarring or disparate. Uh, it's not scary at all, I don't think. Um, at least by modern standards because obviously it's, it's extremely tame by modern standards but... Yeah, it's really enjoyable. It's really entertaining. Um, I love, uh, oh my gosh, Anthony Perkins. Isn't isn't that his name? Yeah. He's fantastic as Norman Bates. Uh, So is, oh gosh, Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. What's her name? I don't know. Uh, Yeah, she does a really good job. All the performances are really good. Uh, And I would call it, at this point, probably less a horror movie and more like a thriller uh, but it's it's very good, uh, and I would recommend, I would highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, period, and if you've seen The Shining and you want another touchstone of the genre.
0: Well, I'm not going with the touchstone, but this is my personal favorite horror movie of all time. I mentioned it earlier. I watched it for the first time at 2 a.m. in my room alone, and I... Genuinely don't know if I slept that night. It's The Conjuring by James Wan. I just think, just like The Shining, I think the technical elements of this movie are where I really love it. I really think there's only like one or two jump scares in the whole film. So it operates on a similar logic to The Shining, where it's much more revolving around building tension as opposed to ever easing tension. And it also has my personal favorite horror set piece of all time in The Clapping Game, which is just a fantastic build-up to a absolutely incredible scare, in my opinion. But yeah, it's a, it's super good. It's got... I'd say the human elements are fairly, since we're talking about that in this episode, because of Elliot... The human elements are probably a little negligible, although it does have one of my personal favorite depictions of Christians in popular media that I think uh, Patrick Wilson's character and Mia, I can't pronounce her last names, last characters, uh, I think they're a very good portrayal of devout Christians, which I appreciate as a Christian. But um, yeah, it's a really good movie. Very scary, but... James Wan really directs the heck out of this thing. So that's my recommendation.
1: Yeah, I have not seen that.
0: <clears throat> I keep telling you to watch it at night in your room alone like I did so you can get the full experience. And then you say, I want to sleep and I'm a baby. So that's what you say.
1: <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway. I yeah. think uh, we've, we've come to the end of a long journey. Uh, we've realized that life is hard and full of disappointments, as we always do. Um, do
0: you think saying that's a bit clinical and inhumane of you, Elliot?
1: Well, yeah. But I'm not technically accomplished in any way.
0: Oh, so you don't care about your critical critical uh, <laughs> acclaim or critical reception at all? Or lack thereof. Yeah, okay. Well, how about for the... End of this episode, we do the uh, Irish accents again.
1: You can do it if you want. I'm not going to embarrass myself anymore. Elliot. I
0: no, I won't. Well, I hope everyone has a spooky Halloween. <laughs> if we. <laughs> I forgot to say this, but if we had more energy and we're better at doing what we're supposed to be doing in the podcast, I would have had Jake do like a Treehouse of Horror style Halloween remix of our intro. Yeah,
1: but that's a lot of work.
0: Well, it'd be a lot of work for Jake, and he's fairly lazy, and I've only thought of the idea like yesterday, so but I mean, just imagine it. As with everything, just imagine we did it better, and then give us credit for doing it better in your head. <laughs>
1: That's a good listening but, guide um, to this program in general.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. So again, thanks for uh thanks for listening. I hope you have a happy Halloween and just a great, you know, life, I
1: guess. So you wouldn't want to be ya.